I no longer subscribe to uh, the, the print edition of the newspaper, but uh, when I did, I sort of had a, a reading routine, and my guess is uh, all you guys do too. Uh, so I, I would go to the national news and take a look at the headlines, then I'd head over to the sports section uh, to see what was going on there, but, but I would always end up by taking a look at the uh, comic strips. And I never read all of the comic strips, uh, to, you know, in, in its entirety. Some I didn't like. Um, but I, I, I really always checked in on Charlie Brown and Snoopy. Uh, when I was growing up, Marmaduke was in uh, my uh, hometown newspaper. I loved Marmaduke. Uh, Dennis the Menace, I, I had to see what Dennis was up to with Mr. Wilson and Ruff. Um, and as I got older, though, by far, uh, one of my favorite comic strips was uh, The Far Side uh, by Gary Larson. And, and this is one that, that really just gets me as a, as a, a pastor and as a musician. Um, uh, it, if, if you don't know what a castanet is, uh, the, the comic loses its uh, ability a little bit. Castanets are the little symbols uh, that are played. And so you see there, uh, the, the, the one guy says, you know, you, you idiot. He said, cast the nets, not cast the net. Anyway, maybe, anyway, you see how my mind works there. I think that's really funny. So, hey, everybody take just a minute uh, in the chat box, just a minute or half a minute, and just post your favorite comic strip. And, uh, and maybe we'll check some of yours out uh, later if you want to do that. Uh, but anyway, uh, the far side. Well, one of the things that, uh, Alan, put that comic strip back up if you don't mind. One of the things that I uh, connect with about this uh, comic strip, not only is it just sort of sarcastic and all that, but it also reminds us that we just don't always understand what the Lord is trying to tell us, do we? We don't always understand what the Lord is trying to tell us. And today, uh, our text brings to us one of the most famous encounters of the Bible, of the Lord trying to tell uh, one of his servants something, and interestingly enough, maybe it's the reason why I thought of this comic, is that it happened on the far side of the desert. Throughout this unique season of COVID-19, uh, we have been using the desert, the term desert, as a metaphor for our journey. And one of the reasons this came to me right away uh, as we started this season is that when you're in the middle of a desert, you can't necessarily see the end. And you don't know when the end will be. And I don't know about you, but that's how this season feels to me at times. As a people right now, we are facing incredible challenges in our country that don't seem to have an expiration date on them, do they? We don't know when the next normal is going to be. We don't know when our nation will get a grip on the reality of systemic racism and injustice. It seems like as a people... Uh, we're really struggling as a people right now to solve big problems and big challenges. We're not only a divided nation with different ideas. We've always had different ideas as a people, but we don't seem to be just divided. It almost seems like people are living in different worlds. We may be living side by side physically, but you may be living beside somebody physically that is a com in a completely different ideological world than you're living in. And certainly the pandemic, we don't know when the next normal is going to be. We kind of have this idea that the next normal is going to be after a vaccine is developed and distributed, but we don't know for sure when that's going to be. And maybe, even maybe this morning, you feel a little bit deeper 
into the desert. Maybe you feel like you're on the far side. I've got to be honest with you, I've felt that way at times uh, during this season myself. Oh, I've known intellectually that it's going to be quite some time before we're uh, getting to a next normal, that it's going to be after a vaccine is developed and distributed, that until then we're going to be wearing masks in worship, we're going to be staying six feet apart as best as we can, Uh, we're going to be in limited indoor uh, gatherings for quite a while. But man, a few weeks ago, this moved from my brain to my heart. And it hit me pretty hard when I started thinking about, you know, we're going to be singing Christmas carols with masks on, no matter where we are, inside a building or or, or out. Uh, We're going to be uh, hopefully at a distance, I guess, we'll get long uh, extensions to be able to light the candles on Christmas Eve uh, from one another, other than those who are in our families. We're going to be in a limited capacity in this room uh, for quite some time, and that just really pushed me, to be honest with you, a little bit deeper into the desert a few weeks ago. Now, to be sure, the, the Lord has carried me. Uh, to be sure, the Lord has reminded me Uh, that we can have hope, to be sure the Lord has lifted my spirits. And I know that God is going to do something special through the plans that we have this fall. We have an extraordinary fall planned uh, for us, both in worship as well as some other studies. But in this moment of being shoved to the far side, the Lord also has a way of reminding us what's important, right? The Lord reminded me of my relationship with him and My greatest desire needs to be his pleasure over my life, his call on my life and my family. The Lord has reminded me of how precious the the church family is to me. I thank you guys all the time, and not just who you are, but how you're doing uh, during this time. The far side of the desert can be scary for sure. However, as any explorer will tell you, a desert also can yield incredible and wonderful discoveries. And that's what I want us to take a look at today uh, from uh, our passage this morning. It's found in Exodus chapter 3, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 15. And we're going to see how God met Moses on the far side, the back end of the desert, and led him to two extraordinary uh, discoveries. So if you uh, brought your Bible, feel free to turn it. Uh, If you have it there with you at home, uh, turn or launch it to Exodus chapter 3. Uh, verses 1 through 15. And, and just in case uh, the story of Moses is not familiar, let me just give you a thumbnail backstory sketch. Moses was born in a time when the Egyptian king, Pharaoh, issued a, a decree to kill every newborn Hebrew baby boy. And by the grace and providence of God, Moses' life was spared, and he ended up being raised in the palace of Pharaoh. One day after Moses uh, grew up, he saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite. And in his anger, Moses went and killed the Egyptian. Well, as you can imagine, Moses had to flee the palace and he settled into the life of a desert shepherd. He got married, he had kids, and was working for his father-in-law as our text opened. So that's just a little bit of thumbnail sketch. And now to our text. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, some translations say desert, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. 
Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. May God bless the reading in the hearing of his word. Let me just talk about two desert discoveries. There are at least 10 sermons in this text, but we're just going to talk about two desert discoveries this morning. The first one is the nature and name of God. The nature and name of God. Imagine if you could say, God, if, if you could just show me a little bit more of who you are and, 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 and what you are supposed to be in my life, then God, I will willingly walk through a desert just to be able to have that sense of understanding. Moses was tending the flock on the far side of the desert and God met him through a burning bush. Now, I am absolutely fascinated by this symbol that God chose to use because when you think about it, fire repels and attracts, doesn't it? Fire both repels and it attracts. Fire is fascinating in that it will draw us closer so that we can draw from its warmth, and yet it repels when it's too hot. And it repels because we know it can burn. And you get this real sense, this tension with Moses as he approaches the burning bush. He is drawn to it, and he wants to experience it, yet he turns away when God announces himself, and God says, okay, Moses, that's, that's, that's close enough. It repels, and it attracts. God is distant in that God is mysterious. God is completely other. God is absolutely pure, and God is absolutely holy. There is an aspect of God where we bow down in reverence, and we just recognize that God is completely other than we are. Yet God is warming. 
and God draws us near with his love. Notice God didn't say to Moses, go away. God said, okay, that's good right there. He tells Moses he is close enough and then to show him respect and to show him reverence, to remove his shoes because this is holy ground. You know, little sidebar here, but how do you think Moses ever felt when his feet touched the desert again? Do you think he remembered that moment in the desert when he encountered the living God? You know, there's another symbol in our faith that both draws us really close, but yet also reminds us of the holiness of God, and that is the cross of Jesus. The cross draws us near like fire does with the warmth of God, yet we can't fully take on the cross and everything it stands for without recognizing it is there because of the holiness of God. It is there because our sins have to be covered. And when we take the cross in the very center of our being, then we're saying to God that we want to walk away. We want to distance ourselves from our sinful nature. The nature of God in this passage is also beautifully captured in his name. When Moses asked God who he should tell, who he should tell the Israelites who sent him, God said, tell them, I am who I am. Now, you know, that is an interesting answer. It's a bit puzzling in our modern world. If somebody says, what's your name? Well, I am is my name. The phrase I am means to be, it means to be or to exist. And this means in this context, in, in the context of reference to God, it means that God is completely eternal. God is uncreated. God is self-existent. God is unchanging. And God is self-directed. One of my favorite descriptions of God is that God is the uncreated creator. When you think about that, God is the uncreated creator. Everything else has been created. But God is the uncreated creator. But it also meant that God was present with his people, and he sees their suffering. Notice that you have this holy God, right, depicted by fire, and God saying to Moses, okay, that's close enough, but then God saying, I have come down because I've seen the misery of my people. He is completely other, yet he sees our suffering, and he sees our struggles. Here's the takeaway. The nature and name of God reminds us that God cares deeply about our pain and our struggles. And God, in his complete otherness, has the power to deliver and rescue us from our suffering. So God loves you and sees your pain and has the power to do something about it. God is loving and God is powerful. So a gentle question this morning as you consider the nature and name of God is, have you discovered the nature and name of God for yourself? Have you fully acknowledged that God is completely other, that God is mysterious and God is holy? God is the uncreated creator and that in, in, in your relationship with God, the first thing you do is bow down and humble yourself and recognize him. Have you taken that nature of God and do you know that God loves you incredibly? incredibly, that this all-powerful, all-holy God loves you incredibly. Have you discovered that for yourself? The second 
discovery in the desert for Moses was the discovery of his own identity. If you remember a few weeks ago, we explored the concept of God forming a covenant with Abraham and giving him a new identity. This covenant reminds us first and foremost that we are to draw our identity from our relationship with God. Let me say that again. That first and foremost, that we are to draw who we are from our identity with God in Jesus Christ. And if we get this concept of covenant identity with God right, and if we get it settled in our hearts, everything else about our faith journey flows from this reality, and it will fall into place. For example, we worship God. We worship God because of our covenant identity in Him. Our obedience and our service flows freely from our identity in Him. Our worldview is to be shaped by our identity in Him. Now, I mentioned challenges earlier that we're facing as a nation. They're significant. And think how much they can fester because of this issue of identity. I dare say that some have an identity that is malformed by the idea that one race or one ethnic group is superior to others. I have even heard people excuse their sinful language and sinful attitudes by just saying, that's just who I am. And that's how I was raised. I dare say that some have a more individualistic sense of identity that struggles to trust authority. Now, I'm not saying that authority should be given a blank check. Authority in our nation always needs checks and balances. But this kind of individualistic identity that is suspicious of authority makes one vulnerable to conspiracy theories and the like. When we come to Christ, we allow him to take our nature and take our identity, and we allow him to shape our world view. We have a regime change of both heart and mind in Christ. And the beautiful thing about our identity in Christ is that Jesus doesn't turn us into clones without a sense of personality, without a sense of our nationality or our, our, the beautiful aspects of our ethnicity. No, he doesn't turn us into clones, what he does is he roots out those values and attitudes that keep us from seeing the world the way he wants us to see the world. God wants you to see the world through the eyes of Jesus. First and foremost, first and foremost, not the eyes of a 57-year-old white male born in North Carolina. By the way, that's me. Let me encourage you as you watch the news as you weigh the challenges we are facing, take these matters to the Lord in prayer and ask God to shape your view and your opinion and ask him to root out any sinful attitudes and help you to see these issues through his eyes. Man, that's the journey. And it stems from identity. It stems from our identity in him. It is easy to imagine that Moses struggled with his identity. He was born a Hebrew, yet raised an Egyptian. He came to incredible power in Pharaoh's palace, yet he ends up tending the flocks of his father-in-law. 
Anybody ever work for your in-laws? Work for your in-laws for a while. It'll, it'll really question, make you question your identity and who you are. Now he has this encounter with God. And it's interesting. Did you hear what Moses said first to God? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I to do what you're asking me to do? And God says this. God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God goes on to say he has seen the plight of his people as they suffered in slavery. You see the connection? God just didn't say right away, I am. No. God said to Moses, I am the God of your father. So not only was God describing his identity, but God was saying to Moses, who you are. And the idea of him seeing the plight of his people, that's the covenant identity again. Moses discovered or rediscovered in a deeper way his identity in the desert. And the desert became his gift. The desert became his gift. Desert experiences in our lives may not be ones that we hope for. A place where we are tested and tried. A place where we, that can feel dangerous and lonely. A place where life feels and seems on the edge. As God's people, our call is to embrace our desert experiences with trusting faith. And as we do, God will reveal to us who we are. We are his children. We're the objects of his love. We're the objects of his affection and mercy. As his children, we are emptied out vessels like Moses, waiting to be filled, waiting to be filled by him, his power and his grace and his strength. The far side of the desert. My prayer and my hope for you is when you find yourself on the far side of the desert, that you'll see it as a space and a place where God's grace is just poured out on your life. That you'll remember our God is all-powerful and all-loving and that you'll remember that indeed you are his child. And the promise is that as we, as God's people, as we recognize who he is, as we recognize who we are, then we go to that place of promise. We go to that place that the land filling, filling, filled with milk and honey. And we go to that place in our world where we do his work, where we call people out of the bondage and the liberation. We call people out of the bondage of sin and into the liberation of his life. We call people to a different place. We show people the way to the promised land. Wow. Because of who he is and because he who he says you are. Amen? Amen. For those in the room, let me invite you to stand for our benediction. And for those in the room, I'll ask you to just hold on just a little bit after our final prayer uh, so we can chat just a moment. And, um, and then for those of you online, 
I hope to see you next week. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for who you are. And let, God, just let that sink into us that you are the God who loves us, the God who draws us into your warmth and into your fellowship, and yet, God, you are an amazing, holy, powerful God, completely other. So, God, we thank you for coming to us with everything of who you are, with your full counsel, And Lord, we thank you for who you tell us that we are as your children. So Lord, I pray for each of my friends listening to this message today, whether they're here in this room or whether they're at home or watching later this week online. God, I pray, Lord, for those who feel like they're in the middle of the desert, maybe even on the backside like Moses, that you would come and reveal yourself in a fresh and a new way carry us and pick us up and fill us with your grace and power. And Lord, let it even be said that we would, as your people, lead others to experience the fullness of your love. In Jesus' name we pray and we humbly ask, amen.